0: number 680 for the 14th of February 2020. This week Windows 7 reached its end of life recently and Microsoft will end support for Office 2010 in mid-October. Let's take a look at your options for when the time comes. In short circuits, if you've ever tried to delete or rename a file only to have Windows refuse, LockHunter can save the day. Microsoft has two utilities that keep system files in good shape. Using them occasionally is wise. One of the easiest ways to share information is with a PDF document, and Windows 10 makes the process even easier. In spare parts, only on the website, Russian and Japanese scientists say a new material can extend the life of solid-state devices in high-use applications. What do people do at the Super Bowl? Well. Most of them seem to use their phones a lot. And 20 years ago, Corel Corporation had previewed a Linux version of its graphics applications. The effort was not exactly a big success. It looks like Office 10 is about to join Windows 7 over in West Nowhere Land. Not everybody likes changes, and a substantial number of people detest software-as-a-service from companies like Adobe and Microsoft. That may explain why older versions of Microsoft's Office Suite are still in use, even the decade-old Office 2010. Microsoft will end support for Office 2010 on the 13th of October 2020, and that means users will no longer receive security patches, program updates, or support of any sort. If you plan to stick with Microsoft, some reasonably priced options do exist. Other organizations offer Office suites, or you might decide to just stick with Office 2010, no matter what. There's a bit of irony here writer Worldwide articles typically begin on a Windows computer, either in UltraEdit Studio, which is a text editor, or in Microsoft Word 365. Of course, that's a word processor. The articles are then ported to Adobe Dreamweaver CC, and they're recorded using Adobe Audition. Well, UltraEdit Studio has a perpetual license that provides updates at no costs forever. Both Microsoft and Adobe products are provided as a service. So the irony Well, it's that I wrote the article on a Mac using the open-source Atom text editor instead of Office 365, even though Office 365 is installed on the Mac. So let's consider your options for October 2020 and after. There's Microsoft with an Office 365 subscription, Office 365 Online, or Office 2019. Or something else. Or you could just choose to do nothing. We'll start with the Microsoft options. The Office 365 subscription seems to be the best option for those who depend on Office applications and who also have family members who also need the programs. Office 365 Home costs $100 per year. Office 365 Personal is $70 a year. Office 365 Personal is intended for one person, who wants to install the Office suite on all of their devices, a PC, Mac, Android, and iOS. It includes Word, Excel, PowerPoint, Outlook, Publisher, and Access. Publisher and Access, though, can be installed only on Windows computers. Those who have family members that need access to the applications on their own devices will be served better by the Office 365 Home package. That's because it offers the same applications on the same devices, but it allows up to six people to install the applications on each of their devices. So a family of four, for example, would pay the equivalent of $25 per person per year. Microsoft's free cloud-based Office 365 Online might be an option for some. It includes web-based versions of Word, Excel, PowerPoint, and OneNote. OneNote is not included in Office 365 or Office 365 Personal, but Outlook, Publisher, and Access are omitted from Office 365 Online. The web-based office apps are about on par with those provided by Google or Zoho or others. They're adequate for basic needs, unlikely, though, to suit those who need more powerful functions, and the lack of outlook might be a deal-killer. Now, I mentioned that OneNote isn't included in Office 365 or Office 365 Personal. That's because the desktop application has been discontinued. Instead, Microsoft steers those who want the application to their free online OneNote app. Microsoft's developers continue to improve the app, but it's far from being comparable to the desktop version. The good news is that, at least for now, Microsoft does offer a free OneNote download for Windows and Mac users, so the full story here is that OneNote isn't included in the Office 365 suites, but you can get it for free. Upgrading to Office 2019 might also be an option. That seems like a bad deal to me, though, because of the price and the expectation that the 2019 version will be the last version sold with a perpetual license. Office 2019 was released in October 2018. It cannot be installed on any version of Windows lower than Windows 10 and is not being updated at all. If that's not enough to discourage you, consider the price. Home and Business Digital, $250. And Office Professional, $440. There are other options. WPS Office Premium looks a lot like Microsoft's applications for Windows, Mac OS, Android, and iOS, but there's no email client, no publisher application, no database manager. The free version displays ads. A premium version that adds useful features and eliminates the ads is available for $30 per year per user. The Google applications, Docs, Sheets, and Slides, offer powerful collaboration features, but they lack many of the popular capabilities that are included in Microsoft Office, and they're provided as an online service, which some people prefer to avoid. The LibreOffice suite is useful even if you stick with Microsoft products. That's because LibreOffice can almost always open corrupted Microsoft Office files that Microsoft's applications can't open. When a file causes Word or Excel to crash, opening the file in LibreOffice Writer or Calc and then saving the file in Microsoft format might recover the file and eliminate the need to reconstruct work. Also, unlike some of the other competitors, LibreOffice does include a database manager. And there is that one final option. It's the do-nothing option. If the Office 2010 feature set meets your needs now and you're not concerned about security issues that out-of-date applications might cause, just continue to use the existing applications. The security issue is troublesome, though. Scammers target obsolete versions of software because they know those versions are still in use and it's commonplace for outdated applications to be running without even the latest security updates provided by the publisher. So if you choose that option, be sure to download the last updates before the 13th of October, and then take extra cautions with any files you download or receive via email. If you find these podcasts useful, and I hope you do, might you consider a donation? There are no ads here, and support from listeners is the sole source of income. It's easy. Just visit the website and click the Donate button near the top of any page. You can make a one-time donation or schedule a repeating donation every month. I thank you. And so does the cat. circuits, let's call this one out, damned spot. Out, I say. Lady Macbeth had a problem with a spot she could not remove. Those of us who use computers can sympathize because sometimes it seems impossible to delete a file that we no longer want. This is an unusual condition, but there's an easy solution. The traditional way to get rid of a file that just won't go away because some process is locking it involves rebooting the computer and trying the process again. If that fails because whatever process had locked the file locks it again following a system restart, the next step is another reboot to safe mode. That might allow you to remove the file, but not always. LockHunter is a handy utility that's been around for more than a decade. The developers released an update version late last year to enhance the interface and add some features. It's an application that I always install on my computers, even though it's one that I rarely need to use. There's a warning here, though. First, never delete a file unless you know exactly what it is, what it does, and why you want to remove it from the computer. There's an old story dating back to the early days of Windows 3, and it's likely apocryphal, that involves some guy who discovered a bunch of huge DLL files, or maybe one called winword.exe. He needed disk space, and those files were consuming a lot of space, so he deleted them. The computer no longer worked. You don't want to be that guy. You do, however, want to be able to delete a file that you know is no longer necessary. It's a problem, though, when the file is locked, and you don't know what's locking it. Sometimes the problem is trivial. Maybe you've created a file out spot.docx in Word, and you decide you no longer need it. Deleting the file returns an error because you forgot to close the file in Word, and therefore it's still locked. To delete the file, just close Word and repeat the process. Easy. The message from Windows is clear when the file is locked by Word so you can just close Word and delete the file. Sometimes, though, Windows may not be able to tell what's locking the file, or multiple processes may have the file locked. And that happens when a file is locked by a process the user didn't initiate. Lockouter can be installed so that it appears on the Explorer's context menu. Right-click a file and choose what's locking this file, or what's locking this folder if you've right-clicked a folder. This opens LockHunter and displays the name of the file or folder, a list of locking processes, and your options. The primary options are to unlock the file or delete it. Selecting one of those options will display a reminder about the possibility of losing data if the file hasn't been saved. You're planning to delete it, so you're probably not too worried about that. After you accept the warning, LockHunter will forcibly unlock the file. A drop-down menu offers the ability to delete the file when the computer is restarted, unlock the file or folder and rename it, unlock a file or folder and copy it, end the locking process, or delete the locking process. The option to delete the file on system restart is provided for those times when LockHunter itself cannot unlock the file. Selecting that option sets a run once action that loads and executes during the system startup so it'll occur before the locking application can take over. And that last option sounds dangerous. Not only will it break the lock, but it will delete the application that has locked the file. There are few reasons that you'd ever want to do that, but I can think of one good one. The process that has locked the file is a malicious application, so you want to break the lock and get rid of the file that has locked it. This little utility application is provided without cost. You won't need it very often, but it's certainly a handy application to have at your fingertips when you do need it. You can download Lock Hunter from the Crystal Rich website. There's a link on the TechBiter Worldwide website, www.techbiter.com. It's a good idea to check your computer's system files every now and then. System files are protected files that are used by the system. Wow, you probably never would have guessed that, right? But if there's no problem, why should you bother? It's a good idea to check these files occasionally because Windows can continue operating even when something is wrong. When enough problems exist, the computer will crash or you'll begin to see intermittent quirks. Prevention is better. Windows keeps a cached copy of system files on the computer. The system file checker can scan Windows and restore any files that are missing or damaged. It's a quick and easy process. Start by running the command prompt as an administrator. Now, before moving on to the system file checker, if you have Windows 8, 8 8.1, or 10, you should first use the Deployment Image Servicing and Management Tool. Both the system file checker and the deployment image servicing management tool are installed on Windows by default, so there's nothing to download. The first command is dism.exe forward slash online forward slash cleanup dash image forward slash restore health. You can copy and paste that from the TechBiter Worldwide website. This process takes maybe about five minutes on most computers. It will attempt to repair any problems it finds in the local system cache files. When that process ends, type the next command, sfc forward slash scan now. Again, you may want to just copy and paste that from the TechBiter Worldwide website. The sfc command examines all protected system files and replaces corrupted system files with a cached copy of the file. Be sure not to close the command window until that process is complete, because you want to see the results. Four responses are possible. The first, Windows Resource Protection did not find any integrity violations. That's certainly the one you want to see. It means there are no missing or corrupted system files, so there's nothing for you to do. Another option, Windows Resource Protection found corrupt files and successfully repaired them. Details are included in the CBS.log file. Well, that's the second best result. There was a problem, but it's fixed now. To view the detailed information about the system file scan and restoration, see Microsoft's How to View Details of the System File Checker Process article. There's a link to it on the TechFighter Worldwide website. A third response you might see, Windows Resource Protection Could Not perform the requested operation. If you see that, make sure the pending deletes and pending renames folders exist in a location you'll see on the TechBinder Worldwide website. Then restart the computer in safe mode and repeat the process. If that doesn't resolve the problems, having the computer examined by a professional is appropriate. And the fourth response you might see, Windows Resource Protection found corrupt files but was unable to fix some of them. Details are included in the CBS log file. Well, that's one you definitely don't want to see. To repair corrupted files manually, see Microsoft's How to View Details of the System File Checker process that I mentioned earlier. Then manually replace the corrupted files with a good copy of the file using the process described in the Microsoft System File Repair article. And you'll find a link to it also on the TechBiter Worldwide website. Sharing information that's on your computer can sometimes be a problem. Common programs, such as word processors and spreadsheets, create files that can be shared directly because all operating systems on all computer types have programs that can open those kinds of files. Difficulties arrive, though, with less common applications. Sharing information from a time billing system won't be easy unless the person who needs the file has the same application you do. The same is true if you need to send a sample document from a publishing application. If you use InDesign, you'll have direct access to Adobe's Acrobat application, but you may need to share information from an application that doesn't offer an easy way. Creating a portable document format file, PDF, is often the best way to share a file because Adobe's reader application is free And nearly every operating system can display a PDF because Adobe created the format and then made the specifications public. Many email programs have PDF preview options, too. By the way, PDF file is not redundant like DMZ zone, which would be demilitarized zone zone, or PIN number, personal identification number number, and the La Brea tar pits, the tar-tar pits. PDF is an initialism for Portable Document Format, so PDF file is Portable Document Format file. Not redundant at all. Now aren't you glad we got that straightened out? But to get back on track, I've recommended PDF Creator from a German company, PDF Forge. That changed recently. The newly released version 4 generated frequent errors even with very simple files, and then created no output. Uninstalling the application turned out to be difficult because it had included some unwanted applications even though I explicitly rejected them during the installation process. Although I could have simply reinstalled version 3, I still had the download file for it, I didn't. So if you're using PDF Creator and you like it, I recommend not updating to the new version. If you'd like to be able to create a PDF document occasionally but don't have an application like PDF Creator and don't want to install one, guess what? If you have Windows 10, you already have a way to create PDF documents. It's built right into Windows. The utility makes it possible to create a PDF document from any application that can print. Start by using the print function from the application. The example you'll see on the TechBinder Worldwide website shows Microsoft Outlook's print dialog. You'll be shown a list of all printers that Windows knows about. In the example you'll see on the website, the choices include Microsoft XPS, Microsoft Print to PDF, Fax, two separate versions of a Canon printer, and Adobe PDF. Select Microsoft Print to PDF then use the properties dialog to set the basic print information as to whether you want the page to be portrait or landscape, then click the print button. You'll be asked to specify a location for the PDF document, and the finished file will be ready for your use in just a few moments. (music) There's no waiting for spare parts, just check the website for this week's stories, which include Russian and Japanese scientists say a new material can extend the life of solid-state devices in high-use applications. What do people do at the Super Bowl? Uh, Most of them seem to use their phones a lot. And 20 years ago, Corel Corporation had previewed a Linux version of its graphics applications. The effort was not exactly a big success.